The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Hello, Anteater Nation. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And just when you thought things were amazingly quiet during the dog days of summer here on the main campus, extra, 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 this week on our very own athletic fields, the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams football team has just started training camp, yes, in the land of blue and gold for the next three weeks. So my guest today is Senior Associate Athletic Director Paul Hope, who just so happens to be in charge of all athletic facilities and operations here at UCI. He has an amazing wealth of experience on this campus, having pretty much been around here one way or another since 1983, almost 40 years. We are primed to hear all about him, his job, and the 2022 Super Bowl champion Rams training camp. Zot, zot, zot. Welcome to UCI Conversations, Paul. How are you today? I'm great, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Truly appreciate it, getting this opportunity to be able to speak to you today. Oh, fantastic. Great to have you. Why don't we just start from the beginning? Where did you grow up and what did you like to do when you were a kid? That's a great question. I grew up in a number of different places, uh, really started my youth in San Pedro, uh, migrated to East LA, you know, for elementary and intermediate. And then Eventually, uh, my mom got a job uh, teaching out at Ukaipa, and so we, uh, my brother and I and my mom moved to Ukaipa, where she was a continuation high school teacher uh, for a number of years, and uh, my brother and I both graduated from Ukaipa High School. Ukaipa is out toward Palm Springs, right? Uh, Redlands, Calamesa area, uh, base of Big Bear. So it's a kind of a little colder, a uh, little kind of more mountainy, a little colder, but a really cool spot. Gotcha. Very good. Did you always know that you'd go to college right away? I did. You know, all of my grandparents, my mom, were all education-based with college degrees. My grandfather was a professor at Pepperdine University. So I uh, always had this education background. Good, good. So how did you decide on UCI? Truth be told, I applied to a a number of schools thinking, you know, I played football and uh, tennis in high school, and I was thinking I was going to be an athlete. and, you know, when I got some offers and uh, truth be told, I was missing my brother who uh, actually enrolled at UCI. He's t- two years ahead of me. And uh, so I kind of followed my brother in that relationship, which is really important to me. And so I, when I, when I first toured the campus, I loved it. It was uh, big and small, uh, growing. It's something that uh, I thought would be a good fit for me, particularly as my brother was living uh, in Newport Beach on uh, 31st Street. So I, I figured, you know, that's a great spot. <laughs> what could be better than that? So I I enrolled at UCI and uh, eventually made my way here. Very cool. You were involved with sports at UCI. What did you do? Sure. I first came to UCI thinking I'd, I'd play tennis uh, because that was one of my sports in high school. And I was, at that time, I was ranked in California and I thought I was a pretty good tennis player until I, uh, I arrived and realized that Greg Patton's team was fifth in the nation at that time. And he was a wonderful coach back then. Uh, wow. He since moved on, but uh, he built a phenomenal tennis program. And I quickly realized I had no ability to get on that team. Wow. So, you know, Paul, you were ranked in California. Yeah. You come to UCI 
and you, you didn't have a spot. No, they, wow. had, they had between 12 and 14 kids, and yeah, I would have been on the backside of the roster, and there was just no real opportunity for me there. Yeah. So my brother was rowing at the time, and I figured, you know what, let me try that. And so I, I jumped into uh, freshman rowing. Very cool. Now, did you row the whole time you were? I didn't. Uh, I rowed my freshman year and part of my sophomore year, uh, and then migrated away from it. Uh, my studies became more important to me. Uh, work became more important to me. Uh, I started working in recreation, and I thought, you know, I wasn't. I didn't feel like that was really a good fit for me, so I migrated away yeah. from it. And in terms of a good fit, like, was it the demands of training or? No, it part no. Actually, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed waking up in the morning. Uh, I enjoyed uh, the activity and the camaraderie. Uh, crew is an amazing sport uh, for anybody interested uh, in getting involved in athletics. Uh, it teaches discipline. It teaches so many things that you can't learn in other uh, other areas and disciplines. It's it's wonderful. Uh, it just it became something that I wasn't super passionate about. Uh, I was more passionate about. Uh, I met a girl. This reality. Uh, <laughs> eventually, my wife. Oh, uh, there you go. My freshman year, and she was a two-sport athlete at Irvine, and you know we we eventually got married uh, several years later. But uh, I've been with uh, Linda for forty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very good. Did you know the founder of the rowing program, Deval Heck? Duvall Hecht, yeah. yeah. Duvall and I were really close. Oh. Um, so years later, uh, Duvall had uh, started the program. And then had left and created books on tape, uh, and then had uh, come back to the program in the 90s as the program was floundering financially within the department. We were much different back then. Uh, intercollegiate rowing was part of the athletic department, but so was physical education and campus recreation. Uh, and subsequent, you know, over the years, you know, physical education was disestablished. Some of the recreation was moved away from intercollegiate athletics to student affairs. Uh, the uh, annual recreation center was built. And at one point, uh, you know, we became an athletic department that just couldn't sustain 23 sports. And so intercollegiate rowing, among other sports, was moved out of athletics into recreation. But before that, Duval and I had struck up a friendship in the 90s. And part of that was I was supervising uh, men's and women's rowing. And Duval was, you know, intimately in involved in, in both programs, more specifically on the men's side financially supporting it as well as coaching but he was a tremendous asset role model amazing person wow and he was instrumental in founding that boathouse down there at the entrance of newport dunes right yeah shellmaker island he was the first one it was really a butler building and it still exists and he was the first one that founded that area and kind of built that built that boathouse and you know there's a tremendous legacy that he, he's left uh, not just in the structure, but also the racing shells and the programming and all of it. Very good. How did you decide to major in English? Uh, that's a good question. It's really the only thing I was good at. Uh, <laughs> I was terrible at math, uh, not great at biology. Uh, and so really it was uh, a matter of uh, being a decent writer and having a pretty good understanding of literature. Um, and that's really kind of how I migrated into uh, English and critical theory. Uh, part of it was critical theory, which I really loved at the time. Can you elaborate a little bit about what that is? Sure. My first course in critical theory was taught by uh, Michael Clark. I think it was, I believe it was maybe my freshman year. I was intro into critical theory, and is really the the basis of uh, literature. You know what literature is about. Um, and they go f literally from the beginnings of literature through rom romanticism all the way up into feminism, uh, more of the more modern literature, uh, but it's really the basis, uh, foundational pieces of theory wow. for writing. Yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, you know, to somebody who hasn't studied that, it sounds like there's a heck of a lot more to it than I thought. Yeah, I'm just trying to recollect this from 40 years ago, so yeah, yeah, right, there's, right, there's right. a lot more than that. And any favorite <laughs> books or anything like that that you remember or still have? Uh, the things I probably enjoyed the most uh, reading uh, was Ulysses. I actually really enjoyed Ulysses. Difficult uh, by James Joyce. Oh. Difficult, no question, but in, interesting. Yeah. Um, Ezra Pound's Cantos I really enjoyed, although you need a compendium to be able to understand them. Uh, fascinating again. And there's just so much. Gotcha. So you're here at UCI for your undergrad. That was 1983 to 1987. 
and then you have like three years from 87 to 90. What are you doing then? Sure. I was working in campus recreation. I was uh, working as an intern and then a full-time employee. And my recreation experience, again, at the time, recreation was part of athletics and so was physical education. So we were all kind of one. And so as I was working for recreation, uh, part of my job responsibilities also included athletics. Gotcha. I understand while you were in your undergrad program, you were roommates with a number of basketball guys, including future NBA coach Scott Brooks. How did that happen? Sure. No, I was uh, I was working in the department. You know, as a student, I was enjoying life, uh, participating, and uh, started playing basketball. And again, a lot of the athletes, a lot of people at that time, just created, formed relationships. You know, I formed a relationship with a number of the basketball players. And, you know, a lot of different parties we went to. Again, uh, my wife was with me at the time, and she was a two-sport athlete, and her sister was also two-sport athlete uh, at UC at the same time. So I uh, met a lot of the intercollegiate athletes and just kind of bonded. Uh, and then, you know, that relationship, I was uh, playing basketball, and, you know, they Scott and, and Wayne Engelstad and Mike Hess really taught me how to play because it's a sport I'd never played before, and that's really was the genesis of you know, my basketball experience, uh, and they were wonderful, just yeah. wonderful people. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Did you have any idea Scott Brooks would become Scott Brooks? <laughs> Yeah, Scott was exceptionally talented. It's hard to explain to people if you haven't played against him what an athlete he was. A, really a complete unit, a uh, physical specimen, uh, could run, could jump, could shoot, could do pretty much everything, and had an unbelievable brain. Wow. Uh, just thinking faster than everybody. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, we knew Scott was going to be really good. You know, and after Scott graduated, left UCI, he'd come back and uh, come over for dinner with Linda and I as he was playing for the Albany Patroons uh, and then eventually in the NBA. You know, his first experience, I believe, was with the 76ers. We knew Scott was going to be good because uh, he's just that guy. Yeah. Uh, and Wayne also was a, a complete unit, you know, 6'7", 265 pounds could do everything, could be a guard, could play guard. Uh, and Wayne, you know, eventually played for the Nuggets for a while uh, and then had a wonderful career over in Europe, uh, as did Mike. You know, Mike played in Germany for a number of years. So uh, back then the basketball was exceptional, you know, very high level. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, are they going to have the Scott Brooks UCI golf tournament this year? We are. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, I'm not directly involved in it. It's more of our development staff, but uh, we do that every year. I'm almost positive it's scheduled uh, sometime in September. Uh -huh. uh, I, I wish I could give you an accurate date on yeah, that. But. Yeah. So you're you know, interning and then you're working in recreation, and then you decide to get a law degree, right? Yeah. How'd that come about? Sure, really. That's a really good question. You know, I didn't have a real great direction. I was passionate about athletics, something I really wanted to do. Uh, I saw a lot of the senior administrators and saw what they were doing uh, and wanted to understand how I could get to a position like that uh, and knew that with just an undergraduate degree, it was going to be a hard road. Um, and I thought that was going to be super challenging and would require a lot of moves. Move from this department to this department and potentially out of state. Uh, neither my wife or I felt that, that was probably the best for us as we had a lot of community within this area, family. So we decided that uh, I would go to law school, and I did. Uh, I wor was working full-time at, at the time, uh, completed my law degree, but I knew that I, I always wanted to be in athletics. And uh, while I was going to school, Dan Guerrero was hired uh, as the athletic director uh, in 91, 92, and... Dan really put me on the path of intercollegiate athletics. After I uh, completed my law degree, he offered me a full-time position in athletics. And so moving from recreation to athletics. And that was really my first administrative, senior administrative role. I was assistant athletic director at that time. And I owe a lot of that to, to Dan. You graduated with your law degree in 1994. Can you give us a little bit of a abridged version of your career? Sure. I almost have the same position that I had in 94. Um, it's changed in that uh, I moved from an assistant athletic director to an associate athletic director to a senior associate athletic director, but I've always essentially been responsible for facilities and operations. And for me, it's about, um, it's about building, you know, and that's what I've 
that's what's always been close to me to start with something and to build. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the campus from when I started in 1983 to now, you know, it has grown incredibly. Uh, and I wanted the same for athletics. And so that's what I've been doing literally for the past 30 years. Very cool. The Bren Center was built while you were in school with your undergrad, I believe. Can you give us any kind of sense of, uh, it, first of all, it seems like it's aged really well. It's kind of hard to believe that it's, you know, it was built, was, was, did it open about 95? Uh, we opened in 87. Oh, 87. Okay. It still looks great to me. How does it look to you? Looks wonderful. Yeah. Uh, again, it's a 30 plus year old building. So there's some deferred maintenance pieces that we need to address, uh, mostly with exterior areas. Uh, you know, there's some internal operations. Uh, some of the uh, HVAC units uh, need to be addressed, which we are. Is, is that uh, air? A it's the air handling units, yeah. Okay. HVAC, heating, ventilation, air conditioning. Uh, some of those units need to be replaced, and we're, we've got an, a project that's actively working on that. We're also replacing a 30-year-old elevator. But, you know, foundationally, the building is still in really good shape. It was a Cannon Parkin design. Cannon Parkin was, uh, at the time, a really strong architectural firm designing recreational centers as well as uh, large facilities, large uh, arenas. And uh, I think we built a really nice facility. Um, but a lot of that goes to the staff. When you take a look at how it looks now, the interior, the upkeep, you know, Danny Spitzer, who's the director of the Brent Event Center, does an absolutely amazing job. Uh, he is a machine, and the people that work under Danny are unbelievable. Any memories, memorable events, or, you know, events that have happened there, or events just around the Brent Center? Uh, there's just so many. It's, yeah. hard, it's hard to even, uh, <laughs> even, stay, even pick one. We've had so many concert activities. We've had, you know, we had... Uh, former president speak there. We've had just so much in the brand, uh, so many uh, so many campus events, uh, every commencement, uh, all of the cultural clubs that we do, uh, activities that we do, all of the intercollegiate athletic events that we do in the brand. I couldn't pick one because they've been all so special. I, you know, looking at the concert activity, I'd have to say maybe the last really, really big impactful one was John Legend. And that was, a, that was an amazing concert. Uh, he wanted a smaller venue uh, to open his concert tour, and so he selected the brand, and that was a, that was a great experience. What year was that? I, off the top of my head, yeah. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, I think I saw that, and I missed it, and I, I still kicked myself. Hey, excuse me, sir, for a moment while I update our audience. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is UCI Senior Associate Athletic Director Paul Hope, we are talking all about his 40-year career here at UCI and also the current three-week football training camp that the world champion Los Angeles Rams just started this week. And right now we're just talking a little bit about the highlights of his career being in charge of facilities and operations. How about, I know we've updated the pool area. Was that a major renovation under you? Yeah. So originally that pool was a 25-yard by 25-yard pool. And that was how it was originally constructed in 65. Uh, so up until uh, 99, uh, our intercollegiate men's water polo program that had won three national championships literally competed off-site. Uh, that was at Newport Harbor High, uh, Corona Mar. Uh, all of our matches were off-site because we couldn't construct a field large enough in that pool to be able to host. So uh, Ted Newland was the coach at that time, and obviously a Hall of Famer, amazing person to uh, learn legendary. from. Legend. Yeah. And great friend, amazing person. And in 99, we built a 50-meter uh, full-stretch water pool. It's 210 feet by 75 feet, so we can run two water polo courses across. Uh, and that's when we moved men's water polo into that facility for the first time. So did you destroy the old pool and put a new one? We did. It wound up being a pool replacement project uh, and uh, mixed-use funds. Uh, uh, part of it is maintained by the department. Part of it is maintained by facilities management, management central plant, uh, which has been a great relationship. But it made more sense to replace it as opposed to trying to keep that pool. We were losing uh, close to 500,000 gallons 
you know, a week of water. It was just so old. Wow. It just made more sense to yeah. replace it. Was it leaking? Is that? Oh yes. Wow. It was a full tile pool. Uh, and in order to, you know, in order to fix that, literally we'd had to rip all the tile out, uh, you know, yeah. replaster everything. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. Gotcha. How about Crawford Hall? Is that still viable? Do, is it being used all the time? You don't hear that much about it. No, Crawford. Crawford's still being used quite a bit. Uh, we use it for intercollegiate training. We do use it for summer youth camps. Uh, we use it for a number of different activities. But you know, the reality is, I mean, it's a 50-year-old facility, and the floor is 50 years old. So it's original. It's 1965. We are replacing that floor. Uh, this year, we have a project uh, that's been awarded uh, through the campus to replace that. And so that old 50-year-old floor is coming out. Uh, and we do anticipate that we'll continue to use that as a practice venue. Some of the pieces that aren't great for intercollegiate athletics is the, you know, to be able to host volleyball matches, the ceiling's too low. You know, it's grandfathered in because it is an older facility, but very challenging for a men's volleyball team to try to play in there. The balls bounce off the ceiling. Our girls are hitting the ball so hard as well. Now, it's just not a viable facility for competition. Yeah. Uh, now, back in the day, was it viable? Because the athletes weren't going that high? and Different game. Oh. Uh, we predominantly only played uh, women's volleyball for the most part. Uh, men's volleyball was a club sport up until, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, which transitioned intercollegiate, um, you know, Division One, um, And it was different. The, the, we're definitely hitting much harder now, uh, for sure. And it, it's much more challenging. Not to mention the fact Crawford doesn't have air conditioning, so it's not exceptionally user or patron friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, and during the summers, it gets warm. How about uh, the Santora Elite Training Center? I, I must say, in my time, from that being basically, as I recall, administrative offices to now this amazing workout facility that I got to think that recruits just are impressed. I'm impressed when I see it. Can you say a little bit about it? Sure. Really, that, that stemmed from a conversation that I had with the uh, the Santoras, Mark and Kathleen, who were soccer parents at the time. Men's soccer was one of the sports that reported to me. So I was a sport administrator. We were actually up at Santa Barbara for the championship, and I'm sitting with the Santoras, and uh, they indicated that they'd like to do something for us. At the time, I had no idea that they had the capacity for something like that. And I thought they were looking at a gift for the program. That discussion, that's what we wound up building. Uh, I found out that they were interested in building something as opposed to doing something in terms of scholarship. And that eventually was something that would not just benefit men's soccer, women's soccer, but would benefit the entire department. And so when, uh, when we got the gift... Uh, and we agreed that this is what we were going to do. And a lot of this was what the Santoras wanted to do for the department, something special that would last for a long time. Uh, then it was a matter of where are we going to put everybody? You know, we've got all of our administration is in this building. Uh, we know what we want to do, but where are we going to put them? And then it was a discussion with campus and finding a suitable facility, which we eventually migrated over to Humanities Office Building 2, which is now the Intercollegiate Athletic Building. Uh, and we were able to get office space in there and then build out the Santora Elite Training Center, which is essentially a 10,000 square foot, you know, state-of-the-art uh, strength and conditioning space. It's wonderful. Very good. How about the Anteater baseball field? Were you involved with that? Sure. All of it. So <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we did a referendum in the late 90s uh, to bring baseball back. Uh, Dan Guerrero, who I mentioned earlier, was a former baseball player at UCLA. And when he first got to Irvine, one of the first things he said was, how do we get baseball back? And so the, uh, that was a passion of his. It was also a passion of our former chancellor, Ralph Cicerone, who played baseball at MIT. And you know, Dan was reporting to Ralph at the time, and they struck up, obviously, conversations about how do we do this. And that eventually led into a referendum, uh, and that brought baseball back financially, as well as with capacity to uh, reconstruct a facility. At the time, the facility was dilapidated. We had cut the program in 91, uh, and it was being used for soccer at the time because we had lights out there. So it was really a full rebuild, um, and, you know, you have big eyes when you enter projects because you want the full thing. 
And then you realize later they just simply don't have the money. So we designed it in phases. Uh, the first phase is Anteater Ballpark, which was the ballpark, 900 fixed seats, a grass berm, restroom building, temporary press box, batting cages, fencing, additional lighting, scoreboard. And then over the years, we've been adding to it. Uh, Newkirk Pavilion was built in 2006 from a gift from uh, Jim and Martha Newkirk, who are amazing supporters of the campus. Newkirk uh, Center for Learning and Memory, Newkirk Alumni Center, uh, tremendous people. And, you know, Jim was a former baseball player. He played at Cal Poly Slow. And he developed a relationship with a couple of our coaches and staff. And that's what led into Newkirk Pavilion, which is essentially a clubhouse for the players, staff offices, VIP space, official umpire locker room space. And it enables us to take that next step. And shortly after uh, construction of that building, we got to our first College World Series. Very good. Any highlights that we haven't already touched on? When you're just looking back on things, it kind of perkled to the top. Maybe you were involved with it, maybe you weren't, but just in terms of athletics. Sure. There's a couple. In 94, the United States hosted World Cup. It was the first World Cup the U.S. has ever hosted. And we were one of the training sites. And so we were fortunate enough to be able to host uh, Team Romania. And at the time, for all the soccer listeners, uh, Haji, Georgie Haji, which is he's one of the most famous soccer players of all time, was here uh, playing for Romania. So having the opportunity to, you know, meet and watch uh, Haji play was truly special. Uh, and then, you know, over the years, we've hosted so many activities, football programs, uh, college football programs, pros, so many MLS teams, uh, so many international teams. It's, there's just so much it's hard to, to share in a program like this. We run a very active, vibrant complex. One of the other really cool events that we did was uh, in Crawford. It was the last concert we really did in Crawford, and that was Alanis Morissette, and I think that was around 2002. And that was pretty special. Small venue to be able to hear someone really at the peak of their career was pretty special. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just happen to know since I'm a rock and roll fan that Led Zeppelin in the oh, day yeah. played here. Janis Joplin before my time. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> but if I had known, I would have driven down here. But it was at the time you couldn't find UCI. No, we. I remember in '83 we hosted X. Um, and Xene and John Doe, and I'm right. standing right next to him. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And then uh, then we, we hosted uh, Talking Heads, and who else did we have? Talking we Heads played here? Red Hot Chili Peppers, wow. um, No Doubt, so many groups. Yeah. Uh, between Crawford and the brand, we, we had a, a glut of wonderful concert, it, wonderful performance talent. Has the market changed? Because we don't yeah. really do that as much anymore. Yeah, we it has. A lot of the promoters are tied into specific venues, oh. and they're directed to those venues. Also, we're kind of a tweener facility. Uh, Crawford's a little small now, and no air conditioning, a little challenging. We have done things like we hosted Green Day in Crawford uh, for, for practice, uh, but for like really concert activity, it's a little more challenging. Yeah. Uh, and the Bren, again, is kind of a tweener facility. Uh, we're a little under 5,000. And so a lot of the performers are looking for bigger facilities. We hold dates for a lot of them, but the challenge is balancing our intercollegiate schedule, our campus schedule, because we have commencement activities and we we have graduations for, you know, the College of Medicine and law school and high schools and club activities. So we're trying to balance a lot of different interests. Gotcha. And you know, you're in charge of major facility, you know, facilities and operations. Is there a memorable operation, something that kind of got a little, like, it didn't go the way you planned? Anything come? come oh, for sure. <laughs> I knew there might be at least one of those. <laughs> Too many to speak yeah, about. Yeah. I remember we were getting ready for uh, our first baseball game, and we hadn't finished the facility. And we're setting some of the poles, we're drilling and putting the poles for the backstops in when they hit a main line. And if you've ever seen a main line hit, you get a geyser of about 30 feet. Oh, yeah. And within, I want to say two minutes, the entire the entire facility was flooded. Oh so we've had a lot of those, truth be told. <laughs> Does one other story just come to mind? Since, since we're on the topic. <laughs> 
Not so much. Okay. Uh, most of them are irrigation mains, a lot of them, and having to having to deal with that. Gotcha. Yeah, of course. Um, actually, I do have one little um, notice. The one and only time I did a back dive on a high dive was here at UCI. Sure. When did the high dive get taken out? Yeah, as soon as one of our summer youth kids did a belly flop. <laughs> and it wasn't really a high dive. It was a three-meter board. We had one-meter and three-meter boards. Um, but once we disestablished uh, a swimming and diving team, it was one of the sports that got cut. Uh, it didn't make sense to keep the diving boards uh, more of an attractive nuisance than anything. Yeah. In terms of the future, you know, in the next five or ten years, you've been around so long. Do you see sports evolving in a certain way? Do you have any insight into that? What will sports at UCI look like in the next five or ten years? That's, again, that's a wonderful question, and uh, I wish I wish I had a crystal ball. Yeah. Uh, but as you look at the landscape in college athletics, just with schools changing conferences and realignment. Um, USC, UCLA, right. and you've heard the issues that UCLA currently has with the governor and, right. and, and you know, UCOP, figuring those pieces out. Um, realignment is really changing the landscape of college athletics. Um, we're not really in that bucket. Um, we're, we're, uh, we're not 1A, we're 1AAA. Uh, we don't have intercollegiate football. Uh, we don't have the resources that go to support an intercollegiate football program. Uh, yeah, we are what we are. It's and super expensive. I mean, it, exceptionally expensive. In fact, uh, our football team right now is probably the best in the nation. We're undefeated, um, and you know, I would put the Rams against anybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good. When you look back over your career, we've touched on a lot of things. Just any one or two things that you're like, just so proud of. Anything come to mind? Truth be told, there's a couple pieces. It takes a village to do what we do. That's the reality uh, because it's a lot of work. And the relationships that I've built over the years with my teammates, uh, our senior staff members, our athletic director, Paula Smith, who I've known for 25 years, 30 years, she is absolutely tremendous. All the staff that I work with is amazing. They're not just colleagues, they're friends. Uh, and we share so much commonality of interests in trying to build something special. Uh, as is the campus. There's so many special people on campus, you know, from leadership, you know, Chancellor Gilman to, you know, our, EV, our EVC uh, P. Halstern. Uh, amazing, absolutely amazing people with tremendous stories as well. Uh, and we all share common interests, and that's being the best. Very cool. I also note that right now there's about $15 million renovations being planned. Can you just sure. describe that a little bit? Yeah, well, one of those I touched on, and that's a, uh, a replacement of Crawford floor. Uh, the wood is just too thin to play on. We are going to do a pool renovation, uh, plaster renovation, deck renovation, pathway renovations, adding lights to the pathways. Uh, we're planning on renovating Anteater Stadium, uh, which is our track soccer facility. We, uh, a couple of years ago, redid the track. It's beautiful. We added in a a hammer throw area, caged area, uh, really for safety, security purposes. And the next phase will really add an entry area, uh, tighten the facility up, um, and just make it so much more presentable to our community constituencies. And then we've got lighting project, replacements of lights, a lower locker room project that's going to really secure the lower locker room area with cameras and gates. And then a security surveillance project for the entire complex. You know, it's coming that time where you just need to be able to look at your assets. And so uh, that makes up the majority of uh, 10 million of those projects. Some of the additional projects are included in the brand, HVAC replacement units, elevators, et cetera. When you look at everything, it adds up really quickly. And then we've got other planned projects that are currently in design uh, that really are more, uh, we're looking more for development support outside external constituencies to help us build these facilities were in design phase and almost completed with a lower locker room remodel of the Brent Event Center, which would be really special for our basketball programs. Uh, and if you've ever been in the locker rooms in the Brent, they weren't built as locker rooms. Uh, you know, the ceiling height is not even seven feet. So when you're looking at getting guys in like Mamadou, he's ducking his head every time he walks in the facility. So we're trying to build those areas out to better serve our population. We're also looking at completing Anteater Ballpark. Uh, 
And this would be the third and final phase of Anteater Ballpark, which would include, you know, seating up to 3,500 concession areas, suite areas, an area, you know, for strength conditioning and rehab for our uh, baseball players. This is another large facility project that we're undertaking, and hopefully we can get some community support for these. That's the intent. Gotcha. How about just in terms of you've met a lot of people over the years, any one or two people is like, I, I can't believe I met that person. Well, like, it, truth be told, you know, where my office was in old Crawford Hall uh, before we built out the Santora Elite Training Center, uh, I had a corner office. And so uh, routinely I'd have athletes come and sit down. And the first, uh, we were hosting the Rams actually in the mid 90s. Uh, this isn't the first time we've hosted the Rams. I hosted the Rams a number of times in the 90s all the way up until 2000. And I remember uh, it was entirely different at that time. There wasn't the tent build out. There wasn't the media presence. There wasn't any of that, the fans, et cetera. It was really just the team and team operations. And I remember one one day specifically when Jackie Slater walked in and sat down in my chair uh, and I just started talking to him. And I said, he finally said, so so aren't you, aren't you supposed to be at practice? And he said, no, those are for, that's for the rookies. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great story. Uh, I've had Keyshawn Johnson do the same thing. Just, you know, Kenny Anderson, uh, when he played for, I think he played for the Knicks at the time, a number of times just guys wander in. Did you ever meet Kobe? Yeah, his handler, uh, Robert, at the time reached out to me. Kobe was local uh, and was looking for a facility to train. Uh, And so Robert reached out to me and met with Kobe. Uh, It was actually on Father's Day, and uh, he had his uh, dad with him, and they wanted to shoot around. He wanted to do a Father's Day with his dad. And so uh, I opened up Crawford and came down, opened up Crawford and uh, sat and watched those two shoot hoops on Father's Day. It was pretty cool. Wow, and yeah, yeah. Kobe, Kobe was a pretty special guy, uh, really, you know, really nice, easy to talk to, um, not really air, any airs about him. Uh, and he trained with us, you know, for a long time. Mm. And we created, you know, space and time for him to be able to shoot. Uh, and he brought some of his friends in as well, played. But, yeah, that was, he was a pretty special guy. Yeah. Oh, very good. Excuse me uh, one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, if you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And my guest is UCI Senior Associate Athletic Director in charge of athletic facilities and events, Paul Hope. And right now in the interview, we are getting to the L.A. Rams training camp. Is this your biggest event of the year, Paul, or do you consider it like that? Yeah, it is. There's a lot that goes into it from we start literally three months ago just beginning working on the fields, shutting spaces down, working on the fields, getting it prepped. It's a large build for us because the Rams essentially take up the lower locker room space of Crawford Hall. And so a lot of that is moving lockers out to accommodate a sports medicine facility for them. And it's, like I said, a big build. It takes close to three months for everything to to manifest. Wow. When did the Rams come back to you? Because they've been here a few times, you mentioned. Sure. When did they come back recently? Sure. So it was 2016. I remember getting the call from our then athletic director, indicated uh, he'd gotten an outreach from the Rams. And it wasn't public knowledge that they were planning on moving. And this was, I want to say, February of 2016. And as you can imagine, we already had a ton of summer programming. Uh, For years and years and years, we ran a number of youth soccer tournaments on Crawford Field, as well as our own summer youth programming. So I interfaced with the Rams at that time, the director of operations, uh, Bruce Warwick, and started trying to figure out how we could actually accommodate them. And again, it wasn't public knowledge that they had, uh, were planning to move. So uh, we started those conversations. And within about a month, month and a half, we were able to do kind of preliminary deal on how we could restructure our complex to be able to support them. We already had the Santora Elite Training Center built, so we had the facility to be able to accommodate it. But we did have a lot of work still to be done in the field and the locker rooms. Uh, if you'd ever seen the locker rooms beforehand, they were, you know, 45-year-old metal lockers that could barely support our programs and largely unused. 
So it was a large construction. To be able to host them within a three to four month period was moving mountains. And the campus, again, it takes a village, you know, and everyone was supportive, uh, all the way up from the top leadership, the chancellor's office, uh, to OIT. Uh, the Rams required, you have to remember back then, we also had them on campus. And so it was finding an appropriate location to be able to house that many people. Uh, we eventually uh, selected Campus Village uh, for the first two years, and it was included in the agreement. Um, and then how do we build out Campus Village to be able to support these guys? And we're talking about big humans. Right, right. You know, and uh, there's I was a, out in the field yesterday. I'm like, these these guys are monsters. Yeah, big humans, big humans. Yeah. So how do you accommodate them? Right. Uh, and there was a lot that went into that. Um, and that first that first year, I will tell you, was really challenging for all of us. Was it? Yeah. Was it 24-7? It was 24-7. Yeah, it was a lot. Uh, but ultimately... We were able to do so many special things with the complex that would benefit our intercollegiate programs and our intercollegiate athletes that it made sense. And from the campus, it made sense as well. You're talking about a giant brand. The LA Rams is a giant brand. And it's recognized, you know, not just nationally, but worldwide. So having won the Super Bowl last year just is a cherry on top of everything, all of our efforts. Very good. When did the Rams stop staying here? It was after the second year, so they transitioned coaches. Um, and at that time, Campus Village doesn't have a lot of the amenities a lot of the NFL players are used to. So it's a wonderful facility, but there are some challenges. And so they were looking more for an upgraded experience for the players, which is why they moved off campus and engaged uh, with the Newport Beach Marriott. In some respects, it made it easier for us because we were also trying to manage that piece of it, right. the food, everything, room, board, on campus, difficult 24-7, not to mention the fact that it seemed like every player had an electric cart <laughs> and trying to figure out, you know, how we can prevent them from flipping those. You know, so it was, it, in some respects, it actually made it easier for us to be able to contain everything within the Crawford complex. Yeah, it makes sense. Have any Rams ever gotten lost? You know, speaking of carts and so forth, have have any Rams ever been missing in action, or where are they? Not to my knowledge. No. We we only had the one issue the first year. Uh, we were also doing hard knocks in the 2016, and uh, one of the players had an issue with their cart, and I'm uh-huh. pretty sure they flipped it over. Uh-huh. Um, but subsequent to that, we had very little issues, just a lot of carts to deal with. In terms of last year was an amazing year when they won the Super Bowl. Did it seem different last year? You know, did, did you have a sense that, that there was any different kind of focus or was it just kind of like normal and then they ended up winning the Super Bowl? Uh, it was it was kind of normal. Uh-huh. You know, I Coach McVay has, um, has a plan. You know, you can see it in everything that they do. The Rams, is a, it's an amazing organization, top to bottom. You know, Kevin, Les, uh, you look at their operations director, Sophie, she's phenomenal. These are some of the best in their field. And it doesn't shock me that, you know, with their resources, et cetera, that they're able to have that much success because they're a great organization. Gotcha. And do you have sit-down meetings with with the top planners? Not so much. Yeah. I mostly interface with Sophie, who's uh-huh. their director of operations, um, and you know, legal counsel, working on contracts, et cetera, uh, but not so much with uh, the others. Gotcha. Can you describe what's out there there's like a family zone and a fan experience so so forth do, do you know about that stuff sure we have a giant kids zone area family experience uh, on vista field it's one of our fields that is currently just a you know three and a half acre plot of grass where they set up you know a mock football field tents games blow-ups uh, and it's a really great area for parents to bring their kids and experience it. They don't want to watch the guys train. They can go to the kids zone and have a wonderful experience. Uh, There's concessions, there's food, there's everything that you could possibly think of. It's a total experience for the Rams fans and anybody who's just interested in coming out and experiencing something different. And then there's the main field, which is Crawford Field, where we have two uh, fields that are dedicated just to the Rams training, as well as huge tenting. And so some of that is hospitality tending for their upgraded donors, uh, corporate partners. Some of it is UCI tents. We have a couple out there as well where we entertain. And then the rest of it is just seating for the public that's all covered. 
uh, because it does get hot out there. It's it, we're in a wonderful climate, right? But midday it gets a little warm, right? Is it a profit center for UCI? The first three years of the agreement was really about reconstructing using the Rams funding to reconstruct our complex uh, for the benefit of our intercollegiate sports teams as well uh, because we were so deficient with some of the facilities that were you know built in 65 and so they desperately needed a refresh and we were able to use a lot of the Rams money which goes to the campus to support some of those large deferred maintenance projects and then now we do retain uh, profit the campus does uh, retain profit from the agreement as does parking with the amount of uh, individuals that come in to watch so the campus does make money on it for sure is there a charge to the fans it's completely free uh, other than parking which is expected it's completely free to the public and i would strongly encourage anybody who hasn't hasn't experienced this type of this type of experience close to players to come out and watch it's really interesting. Yeah. It's very different. I, I will say I saw it last year, and I was amazed at the level of intimacy that you said. It seems like something out of ESPN, thing, that it's totally professional, and there's a lot of shade if you need it. It's very impressive. And yeah. you, you are super close, literally, depending on where you're seated. There are players within five feet of you. Yeah, and the, the, the talent, the players, are really interactive. You know, they're, they're people, yeah. and they interact with the fans, and that's a really cool experience. About how many people, you know, in terms of attendance numbers, do you have an estimate of how many members of the public a day come out, or does it fluctuate? It'll fluctuate. I think our bigger days are going to be on the weekends, which typically is always the case. They move their training times down uh, to midday simply because of there's the NFL rule now. It's called the 11-hour rule, and it, it goes to when the coaches and players interact. So it made more sense for them to do midday training, and that will probably it might impact their numbers a little bit, but you're talking about the Super Bowl world champions. Right. People are going to come out and watch. Right. Whether it's at midnight or, or, 12, or 12 noon, people are going to come and watch. Gotcha. Any humorous stories over the years with <laughs> Not really. We run a really good camp. It's really organized. The setup is really organized. The Rams do an unbelievable job of running through their programming, making everyone feel special, which is really important. The one thing I remember that was quite funny was we were landing a Blackhawk. So we got approval from John Wayne uh, and a local army base to fly in a Blackhawk. And we're going to drop that is, in the... Is that one of the long helicopters? One of the big military helicopters, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so we got approval, and uh, it was going to land in the kid zone. Well, we'd made enough space. We thought we'd made enough space. But we didn't realize quite what the rotor wash would be. And by the time the unit was about 10, 15 feet from landing on the field... Pretty much every barricade was on the ground, and pretty much everybody who was standing around was running for cover, because you just don't realize how much uh, wind those things generate. Uh, that was that was pretty funny. Gotcha. In terms of the Rams training at UCI, you know, in this training camp scenario, is that going to go on for a long time, or is you know how, how does that work for planning? Yeah, another great question. Uh, the reality is the the Rams have recently purchased property in Woodland Hills. Uh, they're planning, and they've always planned, to build out a training facility for their team that would be kind of similar to the project that they built at SoFi, Hollywood Park SoFi, which is amazing. I know Kevin uh, Demoff, their president, has been directly involved in that, and they've done an amazing job with SoFi and Hollywood Park. And I know they're going to plan on building something similar to the Star, which is what Dallas built in Frisco, Texas, um, which is really a full-service practice training facility open to the public with you know housing opportunities and hotels and meeting space and you know food so it's they will build that facility at some point um, but they're a little ways away uh, the current agreement uh, we have options that they can exercise and we do expect that they'll exercise their option next year and they'll have another option as well that they can that they've retained so Again, we're working off of options, so I'm not really sure. It really depends on what their business plan and business model. How do fans 
if they want to come, how do they get reservations and so forth? Sure. The Rams have a training website that they register for tickets on. And in order to get access, you have to register. Uh, We are capping attendance. Not that the facility can't take it, but it makes more sense to be able to control, know how many people, constituents you're dealing with. And so uh, attendances are capped, and I would strongly recommend people to log on and, and reserve their tickets. Great. And do they just go to LARams.com? LARams.com, and they'll get redirected to the ticket area. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Paul, I can see we've come to the end of our time. Thank you a ton for being with us today, giving us the lowdown of over the last 40 years. It's super special to have the world champion, Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams here. So uh, thanks for all your work on that. And thanks for being here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you again to UCI Senior Associate Athletic Director, Paul Hope for taking us through his 40-year adventure of blue and gold sports facilities and operations. Wow, what a journey. You can hear it in his voice, his passion for athletics, his esteem for his colleagues and friends, and his absolute love for this great, great institution called UCI. That being said, he's in the middle of some of the busiest weeks of his year right now because it is Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams training camp time here on the main campus until August 10th. For more information, go to the official LA Rams website at www.therams.com. It's not LARams.com. It is therams.com. And if you want to be even more specific, go to www.therams forward slash trainingcamp.com to make your free reservation. Have a great time. Go Rams! And ladies and gentlemen, if you liked hearing about the Rams training camp from our UCI point man, Paul Hope, this week, come back to the show next week when my special guest will be the architect of the Rams team, Rams General Manager Les Sneed. I am super excited. So don't forget, you've been listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. And we even invite UCI guests on the show like the LA Rams every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Kevin Bostenmeyer. Have a great evening. Football season is right around the corner. And keep working hard. And now signing off with my show theme song from Fred Kaplan on his CD, Signifying.